I've got a lot of good things to say about this panel. I'm going to make one observation. It's all men, isn't it? It's not good. You're brilliant, by the way, gents. We'll give you a round of applause just for being on the stage. It's good. That is good. By the way, um, Marco, let me pronounce your surname correctly. I want to say Ilncic. It is. It's Ilncic. Marco Ilncic uh, sits at the end. He is the group chairman of Vistage, uh, proudly partnered with us today. Phenomenal peer-to-peer strength and a force around the world, but spent uh, at least, I think, 20 years with Lego as a phenomenal corporation. Just remind us, in a nutshell, what Vistage is doing, Marco. Sure. We, um, we really help grow brands and businesses and leaders. Um, our only focus is to make uh, leaders of organizations even more successful and grow ever faster. Yeah, fantastic. I'm going to come all the way. Can I get on the podium, Mike? Is that all right? Fantastic. Thank you. Can I come down to the end? Sean, give us a wave. Sean? Yep. Oh, gosh, you're there. Right. Okay, fine. That's all good. Uh, Sean Blakely, you're the CEO of the British Chambers of Commerce. Everybody has heard of them, but what might we not know in the context of international trade? How can you support us? Um, well, the first thing I think to note is that we are an official partner of the British government. So sometimes, you know, if you call the Department of International Trade, you may deal directly with the Department of International Trade, but in certain markets, particularly in my market, for example, in Korea, then you will deal directly with my team. So you can consider us as the sort of official trade, international trade arm of the British government. So maybe that's the thing that people may not know. No, very helpful. And, and, and forgive me, can we only benefit from your services if we are formally members, or is there more for everybody if we're not part of the gang? No, if, you're, if you want to be a member, you certainly can be. We have overseas members, but that's not, not, not uh, essential. So you can, just, uh, you can benefit just by being a British company. Great. Now, in the spirit of brief introductions, we'll go one next door, please. Uh, Greg. Greg, yeah, thank so you, So my Greg. name's Greg Such. Uh, I'm the chief executive of a company called Intralink, uh, and we are uh, we're business development consultants specializing in East Asia. So we help businesses that want to enter uh, two of the largest markets in the world, China and Japan, and I think probably the 11th largest in the world, Korea. So we have offices in Tokyo, Shanghai, Seoul, and Taiwan, and we support guys like you that are looking to develop strategies uh, and enter Japan, China, Korea, and Taiwan. Um, how bloody valuable is that? So, so you're not just advising, are you helping us find the people as well, or is that yes, not so Yes, much? so we're end-to-end. -end. So uh, we'll look initially at the market opportunity. We will give you a view uh, on what that opportunity is. We'll yeah. develop a strategy, and we'll identify uh, the specific opportunities and help you convert Good. those. So that's Intralink, everybody. Next to you is James, uh, uh, probably of the eponymous James and James Fulfillment, I suspect. Tell us what you're you up to, friends. James. Um, yes, yeah, so we're an e-commerce fulfillment company. We help brands and online retailers uh, grow global, well, grow internationally and also domestically. Uh, we help them fulfil the back end part of storing, picking, packing, shipping. Right. So, 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 this is the picking and packing itself. And so, what does that mean? Is it your storage facilities? Yes. So, we have our own warehouses, UK, uh, one in New Zealand, one in uh, America. Uh, we also have the technology platform we developed that helps integrate all the different shopping carts and yeah. then choose the right location to ship that product. Okay, from. someone you're proud to work with. What's an example? Have we got anyone? Well, I don't like to, we don't like to talk about a lot of the clients we work with simply because um, a lot of people don't want to know that oh, competitors are using us. All right, 007. <laughs> I see. All right. But suffice to say, if we've got stuff we want to get overseas, you can help us. Absolutely. Are your warehouses here or overseas? So or so yeah, we've point? got one in the UK, one in America, uh, one in partnership in New Zealand. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, so my first question, um, particularly now, I'm going to when um, um, when Arnie talks about geekery, which we warm to, and he said it so engagingly, I think of this as sort of export faff, 
because there's a lot of important stuff that we need to get our head around. My question is, who's going to do it within the businesses that you support and advise? Is this a founder job? Is it off to HR, finance, legal? Who's actually doing it? What are you seeing, Sean, in your members? Because we've got a lot to get our head around, right? Right. So, I mean, there's, there's two things to note. If, it, if you're dealing with an SME, it's often the founder, it's often the CEO. Yeah. So the decisions are invariably made by that person or a senior director. So they will be looking into everything down to the, you know, whatever regulation is needed, what type of customer they'll be working and liaising directly with our team. So that's for the, for the SMEs. Obviously, for the multinationals, it's quite a different story. Mm -hmm. And that's very much departmentalized. But we tend not to work with those guys. So from my experience, at least with international markets, you either have the founder or you may have the head of international, but it's pretty senior people. Yeah, and presumably, we want to find our peers who have been there and done it as well. Marco, perhaps that's where Vistage can come in, but where would I even begin to find someone who'd been there and done it in, say, Japan? Yeah, I think um, you know, talking to other companies is really important. I think sometimes you can be very insular as an organization. Yeah. Um, but I think reaching out to other organizations, Lego, for example, before, we went, uh, before I took the brand through, I led our expansion into China. Yeah. And uh, before we invested multi-millions of pounds, we talked extensively to a number of big brands who'd done yeah. it before us. Adidas was an example, not a competing brand, of course, but uh, very different industry. But we learned so much from talking, and, and it was for free. This wasn't a consultation. Yeah. You know, there's a mutual exchange of information. So I would encourage you to think about brands, businesses that you admire that might be there already and reach out to them. Yeah, and a question for the room. They must be thinking, how do I find, other than through Vistage, how do I find such businesses? Where would we begin to find them, Arnie? How can you help us navigate our way to someone who's been where we want to go? Well, I think, so events like this, and of course they exist uh, in the international space as well, are, are very useful. Yeah. Um, the trade shows, of course, as we've, as we've mentioned, where you can not only sell your products, but also engage in, in conversations and have conversations and on the sides of it. Um, but then there are also lots of, uh, uh, lots of government and, 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 and part government organizations, like the Institute of Export, like the, the Chambers of Commerce, mm -hmm. um, but also the, the government itself is, is helping to reach to markets. And then, of course, on the other side, there are um, similar organizations. So in China, they all take, for example, the World Expo in, uh, in Dubai this, yeah. this year. I mean, yeah. what, a, what an amazing opportunity to see what, opportun uh, what, what uh, opportunities there are in the, in the Middle East. So well, let's start there, actually, Arnie, because yeah. so um, Greg um, and indeed James, the world is our oyster. We're looking at the globe. We're thinking we have potential to go global. How do we begin to get our heads around where best to begin geographically? What are the questions that British scale-ups should be asking themselves about where to begin? Yeah, Greg, go, go please. Okay, can I go first? Um, well, as I said, we only focus on East Asia. Mm. It's a very important part of the world. Uh, and generally, the clients that we work with, which are scale-ups, they tend to be technology scale-ups, they tend to be venture-backed, uh, have identified one or more of Japan, China, Korea is, it's not just important, but it's strategic. So they actually need to be there because uh, there are global players that they want to sell into. So more often than not, that decision uh, is made for us. Uh, if they're targeting the market, then it is about identifying prospective partners in the market, so distributors, importers, uh, those sorts of folk. Um, but it is, I mean, our part of the world is an important part of the world, but it's only one part of the world. Yeah. 
Uh, and I know that James, you've got experience of, of working in the States and taking your own business into the States. I think. Yeah, I mean, one of the things back in the presentation you said about the different barriers, there's cultural barriers, legal barriers, and then various different, I can't what the third one was, I think you had three, but I'd definitely say those types of barriers are worth considering. So the US is a massive market. There's actually a reasonable cultural barrier in the fact that the way Americans buy is very different from how British people buy. So do you mean what they buy or how they, how buy? they buy? Give, give the us a way sense. They go about. So Americans, if they're buying, so for instance, a service, when we sell our service in the UK, it's very much a consultative sale. You're talking about how it might help them. And it's a, people will then sign up for a long contract and they're mm. happy with that because they spent a lot of time doing the diligence on what they're buying. In America, they want to put a credit card down today and they want the right to get on with it and mm -hmm. live the American dream. They don't care about mm. the long term of the contracts. So they're very quick to buy, but they're also very quick to fire you as a supplier and move somewhere else which means it's very hard to actually have a, a meaningful, how do you pitch your business better right. than somebody else's business? So say on that, Greg, I'm tempting you, aren't I, to generalize, but a cultural insight, particularly from Japan, uh, the Far East, something actually a lot of your clients wish they'd known a bit sooner. Gosh, well, I mean, I just make a general point, which is I think culture is important, but I think it, it can be over-egged, okay? I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, if you have the right product at the right price at the right time, uh, and, uh, and you behave in a, um, in a, you know, in a considerate manner, then you'll be okay. But, but yeah. clearly, language is, is an important one. I think in the case of Japan, they're very thorough with the evaluation of your product, so, yeah. uh, so you need to be as thorough in your presentation of the product, and it will take a lot longer than, you might, than, it, than it might take in other markets. Okay, and Marco, would you add to that with your experience, particularly in For China? Sure. Yeah, yeah, no. So, I mean, uh, Japan, Korea, uh, China, for me, the biggest eye-opener working and operating in those markets was the emphasis on relationships is so paramount. You cannot expect to just do it via video conference, through emails, like perhaps in the Western world might be a little bit easier. Um, and it takes time. Whatever your duration is, double it or treble it in terms of your time. Mm. Um, and I think uh, the other thing that's just really essential is You've got to have, you talked about sort of who's engaged, I think you've got to have CEO commitment to this, whatever size of organization mm -hmm. you are, because it doesn't matter how much research you do, you will come up against many, many bumps. Yeah. So having that commitment right for the top that you want to enter into that market and be a success yeah. has to come from the top. And it here. sounds like on relationships, you're talking actually face-to-face -face as well. Hugely important, hugely how, important. How possible is it, one for all the panel, to build an internationally successful business without ever having boots on the ground in any international country. How possible is that? Tell me, well, Sean, I mean, is that fantasy land or do people um, do it? Where are they? So I think the first piece of advice that I give to companies looking certainly to come to our market, which is Korea, is that if you have no intention to visit the market, then I, I, I suggest that you, you not try to enter the market. The reason for that is, you have to think about what that says about your commitment to that market, to that partner, or to that customer. You know, if you're not willing to pay <coughs> for one economy flight to fly over to Seoul to talk to someone, then what really is your commitment? And so I would say that whilst I have seen it, it is possible, and in the cases it's possible, honestly, it's where your brand is so hot that they don't really care how you treat them and what you do with them. So you can maybe get away with it, but it's very unusual. The reality is that 
even though business, you know, a lot of it can be done online, a lot of it can be done with mm. you know, different conference calls and things like that, that face-to-face -face is important reflection of commitment. Okay, I'm just so checking on the panel. Does everyone agree with that? I mean, I'm aspiring to have customers in 50 countries. I mean, to say nothing of how much that footprint is going to be to do that traveling. Is there another way? Well, James, think, or are these, think, boot, are these visits important? I think if you important? go into it half-heartedly and try and do that, you, there's a, so I would agree, I'd say that the biggest risk is there's, you put resources into trying to grow something abroad, but without really committing to it, you just distract yourself from the, your domestic business whilst failing to set up the overseas yeah. businesses. I would say it does involve, and I wouldn't set up 50 overseas companies at once. Yeah. I think mm. you'd do it one at a time, and because right. for that distraction reason. James, do you mind me asking the biggest mistake you've made on the James and James journey? Uh, probably going too don't. early. Probably going. We, we went to the US because we had some customer demand that said they wanted to go there. Yeah. Uh, and probably for us, it was a detraction actually from the UK business that to do America properly, what we should have done was hire a team of people specifically to develop that new market and then put them out there. Ah. And we probably didn't have the finance or bandwidth to go and hire a US dedicated team. So we did it with the existing team, yeah. and it probably was just too much of a distraction. At the and time. and on, on that, other panelists, where are we on sending our best or some of our best from the UK or hiring locally? Greg, will you give me a sense of that? Um, well, I, I will. So, I mean, first of all, I can't think of an example of a company that's really succeeded in one of my markets, Japan, China, Korea, Taiwan, without being truly committed. Um, it is critical that you answer the key questions in advance of entering the market. You need to confirm for yourself there is a market. Yeah. Um, and I'm just going to embarrass this man for a second because I didn't know he was going to be on the panel uh, until today. But, but Sean, uh, we went into Korea about 10 years ago, uh, and we employed this guy. And he was yeah. in Korea, and he was bloody brilliant. And we succeeded because we employed a first-class guy he was our managing director until the British government pinched him from us, the, the British Chamber of Commerce. Uh, but he was running and built our business in, uh, in Korea, and he speaks fluent Korean. He knows he's truly cross-cultural. Um, and so my advice is, if you're serious about the market, I mean, he was bloody expensive, okay, so I had to pay for him. But, um, but, but there again, uh, that's an illustration of the level of commitment you have to, be, you have, to have in the market. Um, and uh, yep, so you've got to be committed, you've got to have the right guys. I've so, actually forgotten what your question no, was. No, but now, on that but, then, I mean, no, but it's about this yeah, benefit yeah. of hiring people either out of the UK or yeah. originally oh, probably from... Oh, we can send from... a good guy over there, provided he speaks or she speaks the language and, okay. and is entirely comfortable with, um, with that part of the world, in so, my view. So, Sean, what gave you then the sort of special skills to earn such a glowing testimonial that a local might have lacked? I should reciprocate and say it was fantastic <laughs> yeah, training yeah, yeah. from Greg, but uh, yeah, I mean, that was a big part of it. I think that the reality is uh, some companies in the room may not be able to visit multiple countries right. or you know, have the wherewithal or the, the funds or the network to hire people overseas. So, there, I mean, there is a different approach, right? So, I mean, technology definitely does allow, for example, if you have a small fashion brand, you know, to put your product online, you know, turn, put your website into Korean language. It does mm. allow for you to maybe hire influencers in the Korean market that drive traffic to Amazon. And, and Koreans are, you know, for example, massively purchasing directly from the UK. Mm -hmm. So it's not to say that you, know, you always have to hire someone or you always have to go there. That's definitely the, the best way to create a sustainable business. But if you're smaller, then I think there are other measures. But if you can, yeah. then as Greg said, the best way to do it is you either hire a cross-cultural, very strong, you know, a person from that home market or yeah. someone that, you know, you believe can, can do well. Just to add to that, James, the please, other yeah. thing I'd say on that too is that what makes your company your company is your brand and the way you do things. And if you just hire someone overseas, they might do what you ask them to do, but they're not going to do it necessarily in the way that your company works. And so there is a real need for having 
even if you hire someone overseas, making sure they spend enough time in your company domestically before they go back to really understand who they're working for and what the business is about. Yeah, well, there's a conundrum there, isn't there? Because to what extent to succeed in international markets must we change the way we do <laughs> Absolutely. things? Yes, I think it's got to be a blend of both. Mm. Um, it's easy, Barco, to think Lego's never made any cock-ups on its international <laughs> journey, but of course it's been born and reborn, so share a secret, something we might not have known no, if we I hadn't think, been in your shoes. Well, I, I think with international expansion, expansion you, you can either be opportunistic or you can be very strategic about mm. it. Whichever way you go, because some, some people do follow you know, opportunistically into a market and before they know it, they begin to build critical mass and off they go. But, but you've got to really establish the size of the prize. You must know what it is that you're there to compete for. Then, of course, you need to understand the idiosyncrasies of the culture mm -hmm. and how significant really are they? Because I would agree, my experience, culture is very important, but it's not necessarily the biggest barrier that you face. And then when it comes to talent, I think with talent, you have a choice. You either buy or you build. And within LEGO, we were very, very conscious that we had to do an element of both. Because what you don't want is a group of expats running around mm -hmm. in, 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 in their entirety. You have to find a right blend of local support as well as your brightest, most creative talents. And you send them there you know, as a, as, a, as a career development opportunity as well. So, so there's, a, it, there's a fine balance, I, I yes. would really agree, but it's, and there's no right or there's no wrong, but in my view, it's, it's, it's where a lot of companies go wrong, and I think, in all honesty, that's the biggest failure that perhaps we at Lego experienced early on, that we tried to do it only with our own people, as sending them over. Yeah, and when you say our own people, we're talking Denmark at the we're time? To, we're, we're talking, yeah, Westerners. Okay, yeah. yeah. It, 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 Westerners, so uh, primarily Danish people okay. or okay. Englishmen like myself. No, understood. Okay, I'm looking out for questions. It could be quite personal to your own business. It could be general. Are they bubbling in the room? Let me look. Okay. Well, as you're cogitating on that, um, I want one big positive or one big red flashing light on the dashboard around Brexit. The B word. Come on, Arnie. Uh, which are you going to get? Because isn't it a bit like waiting till you get a speeding fine and you're like, oh, all right, I've got to change a bit? Or do we have to be a bit more proactive as businesses? Who, who's going to give me positive or negative? What is it? Well, I'm going to start us off, and I'm going to say we have, we have, what, what, what's, we have nine months left to mm. get ready for trading with Europe, the way we trade with the world, and that is different from what we've done before. Yeah. So we got to get our house in order. Well, and who's start. we? Isn't it, don't we just leave that we, to the politicians? Well, no, because we business, our startups and our, our small and medium enterprise, and especially those that never traded with the continent on exporting terms, only moved goods, only considered London, Paris, like London to Manchester, now need to start getting ready to export properly. And that means training. And that means filling out paper and getting ready. Right, let's go quick fire. What have you got for me? Sean, please. Uh, good news, nobody cares, at least not in my part of the world. Uh, if the Korean, what the Koreans care about, for example, I would imagine it's quite similar in Japan and elsewhere is investment in the UK in terms of trade. Yeah, I mean, we have a transitional agreement. The Koreans are 
you know, open for business and, and nobody cares. So if people just get on with it, I think this part of the world is ready to All try. right, so I've heard a different view out of Japan, which might be more reputational. Nobody cares. Are people looking at British businesses in the same light? I'll certainly let Greg talk about Japan. He knows Japan very well. But I would say that reputation is also pretty limited, at least from my experience. Right. I think uh, you know, it's about business and the reputation. Keep trading, carry on. Yeah. I like it. Greg, give me a, give me a plus or a negative, please. Um, well, so, so I'll, give you, I'll give you one of each. I mean, as a result of stepping out of the EU, the uh, UK is no longer part of the free trade agreement with Korea or indeed with Japan. Um, so I suppose that's a negative on the plus side. It's not that difficult. I mean, it's not that difficult. I mean, I, I'm not a Brexit fan at all. I think it's a big mistake, okay, that's my view. But, but, but we've done hundreds of deals over, yeah. over years and years and years, and export filling out, it never got in the way at all. And the thing that gets in the way is your price, your ability to offer the client technical support or speak the language. But, but you know, pay, pay your custom charges, pay your duty, and away you go. And there so, are companies so, that do that for you, like this right. guy, right? So. As long as you've got someone who can tell you how to do it. All right, but Greg, you know, if it's not that difficult, Arnie, mm. what's the latest number? What percentage of British businesses export overseas? Six percent. The bit is selling. You've right. got to get the you got to get the deal. The, right. the, the, oh, the, the bit about actually selling, putting it in a box and, and sending it off, and pay, that's the easy part. The tough part is finding the customer and persuading the customer to buy the product. That's Very the good tough point. Part. <laughs> got it. Why, mm. So why aren't more British businesses exporting then, Arnie? What's the what's the problem? Well, I think you just heard it here. It is, first of all, looking at the own market and, and saying, oh, this is far away. This is very complex. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, and who do I know over there? And it is with the help of companies like, like his or, or speaking to others that you right. see what an opportunity there is. But it does take, it does take uh, bravery to, to step out and, and do all these things we've been talking about. Yeah, it is. And you are right. Regulation is one part of it. It is not the essential bit because you are not at least in the beginning not, um, yeah. because you're not going to deal with regulation until you have a market. Right. So you do have to get a market, and getting this is quite daunting and may lead to distractions because you are building your own market in the UK. Mm. No daunting, perhaps. Okay, James, where are we going to go on this? Just briefly so tell me. I think from an e-commerce point of view, yeah, it's easy to fill in a piece of paper. It's not technically difficult, but from a consumer who buys something online and then has to go to the post office and pay a £15 surcharge mm -hmm. and fill in the, stick the stamps on the floor, it's, it's going to be massive if there is a customs barrier between the UK and Europe. On the, we need to prepare for it. I think we're sort of three years down the line. I don't know what we're preparing for. I don't think anyone's actually Done said it. what's going to happen at the end of the year yet. Mm -hmm. if, if you've got that one, then perhaps you could All just right, send me the memo over. But right. we keep talking about leaving, but they're saying, oh, we're going to keep free trade with Europe. We've but left. actually, we might not. We've technically left. What does that mean? Left. Left. <laughs> so, so I think that <laughs> yeah, great. you need to distinguish between B2B business and B2C. I think yeah. that's a key point. I mean, our business is predominantly B2B. We're representing small companies that are selling to big companies. And more often than not, the big company will advise the small company, the supplier, on, on, what, on what they need to do. Uh, in the case of B2C, I would have thought a terrific opportunity for you because you established establish the fulfillment uh, center in Japan or China or wherever it is, and you deal with the consumer. So that actually as a supplier, I supply you, you're a B2B customer as far as I'm concerned, and yeah. then you supply the customer. The no, it's, it's, an important, yeah. it's an important distinction. Yeah. Other, yeah. other questions, observations, something that's playing on your mind? Things, yes, we'll come here to the second row. Here we get your mic here. Thank you, I'm looking out there as well. Hi, good afternoon. Um, my name's Sarah Bell and I'm with Green Tech um, Recruitment. Um, we specialise in placing um, sustainability professionals. 
Um, I'm just really, I've got several questions actually if I had time, but I'm just interested in how important you think it is <coughs> as an exporter to be seen to be driving sustainability within your business in terms of contributing to a more sustainable future whilst also maintaining a sustainable business for yourselves, if that makes sense. I can say one thing we have a real conundrum with is um, there's obviously a lot of pressure for um, more environmentally friendly packaging on a lot of the shipments we send. One of the really interesting things we found looking at it was actually some of the environmental packaging is really heavy and then when you ship it by air you actually burn more jet fuel than if you'd sent it in something that was made of plastic and it does become this this big issue, there's a thing about getting rid of plastic straws. Now, I don't doubt that that's a really good thing to do. Mm -hmm. I look at the amount of plastic in some of the stuff from supermarkets in the bin and think, how many plastic straws of plastic are there in that? Yeah. And shouldn't we be focusing on that? So I think it's a really good point, but actually worth looking at the big picture environmental concerns. And Arnie, they do seem to be competing ideas, don't they? No more expansion at Heathrow, we hear. You were wondering where the water comes from. I flipping hope it comes from the tap. <laughs> You know, I mean, you know, this ought to be on our mind. How do we export in a responsible way? Well, of course, as, as we see around what is essential that we have the environment and, and sustainability in, in mind, and that we find this fine balance between uh, how do we become more environmentally friendly and ecological, but still grow our exports. And there is a, there, there is a challenge to overcome because as you grow more, there is more stuff we move. There is so, so we need to put our thinking cap on. But you see in, in many parts of the world, not all, but many of the parts of the world, if we business don't drive this because we want to, the governments will start to make us do it anyway. Take what the EU is driving with the climate law. Um, just last week and, yep. and the Green Deal. And you know, we have a limited amount of time to come up with these solutions. So, so this, is a, this is not a want to have, this is a business imperative. And everybody who's thinking about exporting and growing a global business must do so with sustainability on their mind. Right, no, thank you, Arnie. Now, without mentioning anyone else on the panel, if there's one resource you would refer our guests to today, if they're really thinking about going global, where should we go? How can we find out more to guide us on our way? It could be any resource. Do you mind if I pick on you, Sean, just to tell us what we, maybe we could write these up as elite as well and help share them a bit more widely? Because there's good stuff out there. Um, yeah, well, I mean, one resource, and uh, you know, I'm conscious that I'm not part of the government, so I, I, I guess I can choose to, to mention the government. So they have something called International Trade Advisors. Yep. I don't know if there are any in the room, but there are good ones and there are not so good ones. But they're the, the ones that are, in my experience, the ones that are good are very good. And each of you, wherever your postcode is, you will have a corresponding International Trade Advisor. If you don't know who that is, you can contact uh, the Department of International Trade's desk, and they are the, your, your resource, so contact them and they can help you. Thank you. Marco, where would you send us? Yeah, I, again, I'd go back to looking at brands and businesses that you admire that are already successful out there and approach them. You know, many of them are very happy to talk to you about their yep. success stories, but also equally to share some of the slip-ups that they've made. So don't be afraid to reach out to other brands and businesses. Yeah, I think that's absolutely brilliant advice. Thank you very much. And um, Greg? top resource just to be mindful of? Uh, yeah, I think it, it depends on the business, actually. And yep. I think if you are exporting for the first time, uh, then I would go with the International Trade Advisors. Uh, the 
British government runs a program called OMIS, which many of yep. you all know, which is the online. So this is a sort of market survey, online really, isn't marketing it? information service. There's a sort of menu of services. It's quite reasonable, and it's a good way to get some initial information about the market. Yep. The ITA will point you in the direction. And then there are a few other organizations. In the case of China, there's an organization called uh, CBBC. That's not the one you're thinking of. This is the China, China British Business China, Council. China British Business Council, for, for example. Yeah. Got it, really helpful, I'll come back down, but Arnie, your top tip, please. Well, look, it's the Institute of Export and International Trade, obviously. No, did you hear my rule? It. <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> so it's not, can't be you, gotta be somebody else. Oh, it's gotta be someone else. Okay, oh, that's the rule, okay. Um, well, look, I would look into trade associations. Um, there are many in the, yeah. in the market that you are looking, looking to enter because they are connected to the local market, right? So yeah. um, you, you will have importers, exporters on the other side of they want to interact with, with your market as yeah. well. So if you go to America and you go for the American Import-Export Association, then they would be a natural fit for discussion. No, t totally agree. James, who's top of your list? Say it's, it's a blend of the the professional advisors versus finding other companies have done it. The one thing I would say is if you read all the legislation and literature and guidelines and rules on this, you will just never export because it's too thick and too boring. Uh, and actually there's a lot of workarounds, there's a lot of things where there are exemptions. If it's on a small scale, you're just starting some of the laws, like in the US, there's lots of, officially you have to register in every statement, but actually you know what, if it's a very small amount, no one bothers. Like, no one's going to tell you that from a lawyer point of view, but actually, you know, you'll never do it if you have oh, to do it because the cost is so extreme. So take some pragmatic advice and, and follow someone who's done it before. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, let's just, was this a helpful panel for you? Yeah, I think this has been full of really good nuggets. Will you give them all a huge round of applause? Thank you very much indeed. One and all.